Hi and welcome to the Lost Trees podcast. My name's Anna Seward and I'm going to take you on a journey in search of some fruit trees in a town in the north of England called Staley Bridge. As we go, we're going to learn about them, their uses, their value and how they came to be where they are. Staley Bridge is in the Greater Manchester Borough of Thameside. It sits about eight miles from the city centre where the wider conurbation meets the Pennines to its eastern edge. This region isn't known for fruit trees or orchards particularly, but in the course of my work for a local community food organisation called Operation Farm, we've planted and maintained orchards and we've picked fruit with local volunteers as part of a community harvesting project. So we knew that Steady Bridge had some really interesting fruit trees, but we also knew there were many more to find and we wanted to locate and map them. So we launched the Lost Trees map. So this is a map of fruit trees that we've invited local residents to add to as a sort of citizen science project. And we had planned a guided walk in September 2022 to visit some of the town's trees, taking with us some people who knew about them and the places they're growing to share information along the way. Sadly though, our walk had to be cancelled, not once, but twice. And then it became difficult to bring our contributors together again. So a podcast that we'd originally planned to be a collection of interviews with our walk contributors about the trees, so that more people locally who couldn't come on the walk could get to know more about them was changed then to an audio walk, so we thought we could share something more of the walk experience alongside this information. This project is part of a programme of community activities which coincides with Steady Bridge as Greater Manchester's Town of Culture in 2022. The aim is to encourage local residents to connect with the town in new ways, so to see it and move through it differently, to touch on its past and uncover and share knowledge about it. But before we begin the walk, I want to reflect on the name The Lost Trees for a moment. Why have we called this the Lost Trees if we're going to find and map them? Well, we will encounter some actual lost trees on the walk. But the loss I'm talking about isn't just about individual trees. It's also about a wider dwindling of knowledge and awareness and connections. So let me explain that a bit more. Over the last 50 to 60 years, our food system's been transformed. Now that fresh foods can be transported over really long distances from around the world, seasonal eating isn't really the necessity it once was. We don't need to store and preserve and pickle fresh produce to sustain us over winter and spring now. So seasonal practices and traditional recipes aren't passed on between generations. And these aspects of our food culture, which have been practiced for hundreds of years, are now unfamiliar to many people. And so perhaps generally we are less attuned to the fruit trees that grow around us. The trees that are in people's gardens and orchards and even hedgerows that at one time would have been watched really carefully for signs of their ripening fruits to come. They aren't really a priority in our modern lives now. They're probably mostly hurried past, perhaps only noticed when they're resplendent in their full spring blossom, or, sadly, after their unpicked fruits have tumbled to the ground. The decline in the number of traditional orchards in the UK is well documented. Estimates vary, but between 80 and 90% of them as being lost is a figure widely quoted. We have a really rich history of heritage varieties of fruit trees in the UK, particularly apples. The National Fruit Collection at Brogdale in Kent holds over 2,100 varieties of apple which have been grown here. Some of these came originally from overseas, but a great many of them were developed here by amateurs and master gardeners, as seedlings or by crossing known varieties to achieve fruits with particular qualities, often named after the people and places where they came from so bearing names that connecting them to their origins and hinting intriguingly at their stories. 
there is a movement to find and identify and protect these heritage fruit varieties by planting them in new community orchards and replanting them in older ones. But sadly, it is too late for some varieties which were lost with the traditional orchards they grew in, places which were also really rich in biodiversity and valuable wildlife habitats. So our fruit trees link us to the seasons, to our food culture and local histories and ecologies. And this is the inspiration for the lost trees of Staley Bridge. So now the walk. So this is split into three episodes. In part one, we visit some trees to be found growing in and on the fringes of Staley Bridge Town Centre, many hiding in plain sight. Part two is going to take us to a historic overgrown orchard in the grounds of an old, now demolished hall, and with some really old trees still standing there. And in episode three, we'll visit a more recently planted community orchard and find out more about how that came to be planted. There is a map of the route showing our stops online if you did want to go on the walk. But if you don't live locally, or for those unable to go as there are some steep inclines, we've shared some photos of the trees as well as the map online, and there are links to these in the show notes. So now to part one of our walk. I begin this in the company of my colleague Rob Muir, and he's going to introduce us to some trees that he's found on harvesting forays over the years some growing in some quite unexpected places near the centre of Staley Bridge. It's a lovely sunny November afternoon and we're here at the start of our Lost Trees walk in Staley Bridge at the Staley Bridge Labour Club. We're on the eastern edge of Staley Bridge Town Centre and I'm joined for the first part of the walk by Rob Muir who's a local cider maker and orchardist and Rob designed the walk that we're going to do today. So Rob, can you start by telling us about your work background and how is it that you've come to know about these trees in Staley Bridge? I started working for Tameside Council in the early 80s um, with Tame Valley Wardens, mainly doing estate work but did a lot of tree planting and uh, woodland management. I transferred onto the ARB unit and became a qualified tree surgeon but then specialised in urban planting, so I specialised in planting new trees in the urban environment. And then in 2009, in Cheatham's Park, the new orchard was planted there by Deb Kaufman. I was asked to come in and look, look at doing the maintenance work for it, because nobody else knew how to prune apple trees. I didn't either, so I learned on the job and carried on doing it up to this present day. In 2011, um, Operation Farm planted a new orchard in Hyde Park. I was involved in the planting of that and the maintenance of it. I then got involved in Operation Farm and the Abundance Project and also a one-day cider making course. After that, we harvested a massive amounts of apples every year for the Abundance Project. Soon we had too much juice, so then we decided to make cider with it. Hence, I became a cider maker. And that's become a bit of a passion of yours since that time? Yes, I'm still doing it to this day. And we, we tend to make cider, we also make apple juice, which is then used for selling to make money for Operation Farm. And so looking for apple trees for your cider making, is that how you might have come across some of these trees that we're going to see today? Yes, and, and obviously we've planted quite a few myself, but a lot of them in the town centre um, are part of landscaping. Great, so we're going to find out more about those now. 
So shall we set off and have a look at our first tree? If you look in there, you can see the main trunk there. Yeah. It's the original yeah. one with the yeah, yeah. tiny little apples. With the ivy on it. Yeah, but you see the little tiny crab apples up yeah. at the top? But this one gets massive ones like this. Yeah, these are the crab apples. That's off can the original tree, the big one, which would have been planted as part of the landscaping in this whole area. So we're at our first stop on the walk and we've walked down the car park, onto Acres Lane, turned left onto Acres Lane, walked down to the traffic lights, crossed Acres Lane, crossed Trinity Street towards the Tesco petrol station and we stood on the pavement between where the cars go in and the cars come out of the petrol station and here there is quite an unexpected apple tree. Well there's two apple trees actually. This okay. whole area was, was landscaped when the original petrol station was built and there's various trees and shrubs been put in but the main one in the centre of it is a large crab apple which will be planted for aesthetic reasons for beautiful uh, flowers in spring and lots of small apples that are all right for mixing in with other things if you're making juice or cider but at the base of the tree there's a really nice dessert apple now we don't know the history of that it's possibly come from a discarded core that was thrown out of a car window maybe or it could have come from the original crab apple tree that's been cross-pollinated and dropped a fruit that has subsequently grown but without genetic fingerprinting we'll never know what exactly it is which variety it is so that's intriguing so can you just explain what genetic fingerprinting is genetic fingerprinting is when you take a leaf and you you break it down the cell structure to get the genes out the dna and you can pinpoint exactly what its parents were so you know exactly which variety it is so if it's a, a seedling if the small tree here is a seedling so it's been grown from a pip it'll be a new variety because it will have been cross-pollinated with two other apples so it will be a new variety so that's a new way of finding out if an apple tree is an established named variety or if it's something completely yeah, it's, new. Yeah, it's, it's quite recent innovation this in, uh, in naming trees. So that's potentially an exciting project for the future to identify Definitely. that tree. Brilliant. Right, so shall we head on to our next stopping point which is further into the town centre and it's Armentier Square and that'll be about a two minute walk from here. So we're stood now in Armentier Square, which is named after the town that Stellybridge is twinned with in France. And it is where in summer they have monthly Friday night street fests and it's really busy and buzzing and it's full of market stalls um, with food and drinks. It's a very popular event in the uh, summer calendar in Stellybridge. But we're here now, it's basically the canal runs through the middle of the square and the canal is the Huddersfield Narrow Canal and that runs between Ashton, just up the canal, all the way to Huddersfield, so that's a 20 mile stretch. And it was constructed in the early 1800s to carry coal in and cotton out because Steady Bridge developed very fast during the Industrial Revolution on the back of the cotton industry. So our next point is just further along. We've reached, we've walked down 
follow the road round the bend and we are just looking at a blue pedestrian bridge which is next to some shops. We're going to cross over there and then we're going to have a look at the next fruit tree on our walk. So I'll just explain where we've just been. We walked from Armentier Square across a blue pedestrian bridge. We crossed Melbourne Street and we came down the steps onto the canal and through a pedestrian tunnel and this is the point of the next fruit trees on the walk. The big ones are all alders, the tall straight ones, they're planted here because they're next to water and alders okay. love having the roots wet so yeah. they will survive really well here. The cherries are a different thing altogether, they're planted just purely for ornamental reasons. We've got massive beautiful flowers in spring but they also produce cherry plums which have got quite unusual taste they're not particularly sweet but they're great for cooking with so when you say cooking is that making pies and tarts yeah you could use them to, to add in with apples and and make apple and plum tarts or apple and plum and would you make preserves maybe with them you as could well? do yeah yeah or you could use them for juicing as well when this this whole area was renovated in 2000 this whole canal was rebuilt and this would have been landscaped at that time. So it was a massive restoration job because this area of canal, from what I read, was filled in in the 1960s and then... This used to have an engineering firm literally over the canal here and also used to work in it in the 70s and he said you could actually look down a drain into the, the original canal. So all that was demolished and all the car park and that was all done in 2000 when the canal was done. So it was a huge it was a job. Massive, yeah. And this yeah. whole road here was ripped out and there's amazing pictures on the internet yeah. um, of what it looked like. And they've dropped basically a big box into the ground to make this bridge. And the one after that mm -hmm. to make it accessible again. And I think they also had to move two locks along here as well. Yeah, well that, that one's a completely brand new lock, the one in Amantia Square. And I think the one down here is as well. Yeah. So those fruit trees are part of this in a way because they were planted around the time that, that all that was done so in a way they're markers of, of what happens here so we're heading along the canal towpath now heading in the westerly direction towards ashton and we're going to meet caroline street at the end and come up the steps and then we'll find our next fruit trees on the walk it's really peaceful along here like that's the thing about walking along canals is that they can feel really peaceful and set apart from things but actually the canal it's interesting to think how the canal would have been in the industrial height the height of industrial Staley bridge with all the soot pumping out and just lots of noise and activity um, it would be like a completely different feel to the place than it is today So we've walked up the canal and the towpath then joins Caroline Street. So opposite us, where we stood, there's some more fruit trees. So Rob, can you tell us about these ones? This is similar to the last location as it's right next to a new lock and the, the land at the side of it has been landscaped, mainly with cherry plums like the last location, but this one has the addition of a pear as well. 
it's an ornamental pear so it's not necessarily grown for eating but in fact they don't actually taste very nice to eat but they make really nice cider uh, perry sorry if you can juice them get really tannic juice out of them which is what you would normally use for making perry but not nice to eat so that is good to know they're not ones to pick for eating but they could be really good to make some great good perry, with. perry yeah they're very similar to a traditional perry pear which you don't get growing around here you usually get them in the southwest but these are a good alternative so they're specifically cultivated those the ones down the south perry pears for, are specifically grown to make perry. perry brilliant so we have a substitute here at the roadside which we wouldn't have known about otherwise so thanks rob for that So we've walked up Caroline Street and we've crossed at the top Acres Lane, which at this point is called High Street. And immediately in front of where you cross the road is the gates to Gorse Hall, uh, the Gorse Hall Estate. And this is the grounds of a private house, which is no longer here, but it does have a really interesting orchard. But before we get to that, I'm going to look at a tree on the route, which is actually in the grounds of the Staleybridge Methodist Church. But we are going to go and look at that from the side of the driveway, because that's where you see all the fruit and the leaf. From the other side, you can actually see that the tree, the shape of the tree, but we'll get a good look at it from this side because we're sticking to the public access points. As we're walking up the driveway, the Gorsall driveway, towards the next tree, there are some crabapple trees on both sides. And I had a conversation with Sam Bolton, who's an ecologist who works in the local area. And he told me a little bit more about these trees. My name's Sam, Sam Bolton. At the moment, I work for the Greater Manchester Ecology Unit. But about. Ten years ago I worked as a countryside ranger for Thameside Council and then moved into a job working as a project officer for orchards in Greater Manchester for a project called Grafting for Orchards which looked to try and find and document and restore lots of different old orchards across Greater Manchester. So this is a crab apple? Yeah, this is an ornamental crab apple but just because it's ornamental doesn't mean that you can't use it for cooking. A lot of people make jams and uh, jellies with uh, John Downies. Uh -huh. It's a little small, small red apple. I'd say it's one of the most popular ornamental crab apples. Is it, it quite orangey, orangey red? No, no. It's, it, well, yeah, um, more just off pillar box red. Right. Okay. I'd I'd say. So that also the benefit of crab apples, if you're growing apples, is the pollination. I guess as well, it helps pollinate. Yes, yeah. So, it, so some some apples do need or are meant to need a second pollinator, mm -hmm. but there's generally, I'd say there's so many apples about just in the wild or in people's gardens that usually you can you can get away with without having something that's going to be there just for just for pollination. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think you'd be you'd be fine without it. But that's why sometimes they might have, most orchards might have a crab apple in there just to cover that base. Yeah, it can't do any harm. 
and I also had a chat about these crab apples with Rob who had some useful tips on how they can be used in cider making. Great for mixing with dessert apples and culinary apples because they add tannin which you'd normally get in cider apples. Well cider apples, the make traditional cider apples have a very high tannin content whereas cooking apples and dessert apples don't so they make a very thin light cider but if you put crab apples in with them they give it a bit of tannin that you would normally get in traditional cider apples. So after having stopped briefly at the crab apples on the driveway we carried on up the hill to where the driveway forks. So the track bends to the left there and there's a gateway on the wide track which forks off to the right. So if you look to the left on the bend there is an apple tree growing right up against the side of the driveway. This is the next stop on the walk and it's a really interesting tree which looks old and has multiple stems. I had a good look at this tree from the bottom and the top with Sam and I asked him how he thought it had come to be here. Just also to note here, it is situated very close to a primary school and I think at the time of our recording we'd coincided with their lunch break. I'm guessing that somebody's just launched an apple off the track here and that so they've been walking up or maybe going up in their horse and carriage maybe. Like up, up to the house. So that long ago you think? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty old. Look at the size of the stem. It's... Uh, it's quite, it's quite an old tree. And how is it the thickness of the stem that makes it? N no, not, not necessarily. Well, with a, um, with a tree that's grown from a seed, it will be. But um, if it was a, uh, it's really hard to tell if it's grafted because the thickness of the stem depends on the rootstock that it was grafted onto. Right. But I'd, I'd say this was, a, this was a seedling. So yeah, the thickness of the stem will dictate the, the other thing I, that made me always think that this was a seedling is that the, like the apples don't really seem like a, a variety. They're small, aren't they? They are, they, are really, they are really small. And again, it's hard to tell, though, because it's not really in an optimal position, so it doesn't get much sunlight yeah. and it's probably quite low in nutrients. And that could make the apple small if it was actually a, yeah. a cultivated variety. Yeah, yeah, if it was out in the open and it was pruned and there wasn't as much like competition for light and that then then they probably do better mm, but they do look really small i'll tell you what's cool about this tree yeah is on. there's some um what do they call them now it's a polypody the plant that's growing out of the top of the tree we never used to get those they're quite um intolerant of air pollution and so you mm. just you just didn't get them in greater manchester at all and now they've, they've come back in just because the air quality's increased a lot but um, you'd, that'd be a super rare plant sort of 30 wow. 40 years ago but now they're they're everywhere that is good news because you don't expect to hear that air quality's improved over the last 30 40 years yeah yeah well i guess it's since all the mills went and all yeah that. yeah totally yeah yeah there's um there's not mills belching out smoke as much as it used to be I also spoke to Rob about his theory about this tree and he also knew a little bit more about the rest of the Methodist church garden in which it's growing. This corner of the church grounds was cultivated by the guides or the brownies, the brownies as their garden. So if you look at it from the other side, you can see there's lots of different ornamental trees, but they're all of a similar age, whereas the apple tree is a lot older. So it was either here as part of the estate originally or it's a seedling tree that could even predate the estate but nobody knows so the only way you could find out 
what it is, is genetically fingerprinted. You can see it's still got fruit on as well. It's quite late now, so the fruit's still be on the tree. There's lots of very tiny apples, and because there's not much foliage around, we can actually see through that there's a great big pile of tiny apples which have conveniently rolled together into a big, a big pile. But that's, that's a lot of apples there, isn't it? Yeah. It's been a good harvest generally for apples everywhere in the country because we have such a good spring and a fantastic summer. But this, the majority of apples are on this side of the tree because the other side is crowded out by other trees, so it doesn't get as much sun, so it doesn't flower on the other side as much or fruit. So it's a bit of a mystery, this tree, and it would be really interesting to find out what it actually is, if it's a cultivated one or if it is actually a seedling tree. The walk from this point goes up the main track and you follow that track all the way up, almost to where the land opens out into open grassland. If you turn right there, that's where the entrance to the Gorse Hall orchard is. So I'm going to walk up there now and we'll go in search of the kitchen garden for the original Gorse Hall and there's quite a lot to see up there and a very old orchard, some very old trees to go and explore. So actually, that was a bit of a teaser for the next episode as we end part one of our walk here. If you haven't already, do have a look on our website www.operationfarm.org.uk for the pictures of the trees and also for the map showing the route which we followed. If you do live locally and know of any fruit trees in Steadybridge, in your garden or someone else's or even in a public place, please do add them to our map. Links to all of these are in the show notes. I really hope you'll join us for the next episode in Gorsall Orchard where Sam and I go in search of some fruit trees that could be 180 years old, so don't miss that. Thanks to our contributors for this episode, Sam and Rob, for sharing all their knowledge and insights about the trees we've seen in part one. Also, a big thanks to Simon Galloway for his help in recording this episode and for editing and sound production. And to Claire Knox for the beautiful music she's composed for us. This podcast and the Lost Trees Project is supported by The Bridge, Staley Bridge Heritage Action Zone Cultural Consortium, and was funded by Historic England.